Maybe you've heard the phrase before, seeing is believing. And for many of us, we hold that to a certain amount of truth because we say that we need to see something before we can believe in something. And the way that we often have this work with God is we often will ask God to send us a sign or send us some type of, of miracle and we'll tell him, well, if, if God, if you do this or God, if you show me this, that I will have bigger and better faith in whatever it is that you're trying to get me to do. But the problem is that we don't exactly hold this with everything else in our lives. It's true that the saying seen is believing comes in some portions of our lives, but there are certain things that you see that you will never believe in. Magic is one of those things. The majority of people don't actually believe in magic. They see a neat trick or an illustration on stage, but they say, they don't say, man, how did he, how was he born with those magical abilities? No, the reaction is often, what kind of trick did he do to make it so that happened? And oftentimes we do not even need to see something to be able to believe in it. One of the things like that's like that for me is gravity. Gravity. I, I have never seen gravity. I've seen the effects of gravity, but I've never actually seen gravity, yet I still believe in a force that is pushing us down to keep us here on Earth. A part of it that I've never seen and I've never measured but I believe in is that gravity makes things fall at 9.8 meters per second squared. If you drop a ball every second, it's going to go 9.8 meters per second faster than what it was going before. And that's something that I've never measured myself. I've never got a radar gun and dropped a ball and measured every single second of how fast it was going or anything like that. But it's something I believe in because it's something I learned in a physics class when I was in high school. And it's something that has been confirmed in everything that I've read since then. And I believe that God sometimes is trying to have us believe in something without us ever seeing it. Perhaps he is taking things away from our sight so that way we could just simply believe. What if God is not allowing you to see so that you can just simply believe? And I believe that this, this idea is what's in a lot of John's Gospel. We've been looking through John's Gospel account through this entire series of signs. And it's, it's, a, it's a big series where, about the signs that Jesus did in John's Gospel account. Now he tells us there are other things that he did as well, but he chose these things. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, it says this, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Now, if John believed that seeing was believing, he would have found a way for people to be able to see what he had done. He probably would have written down every single thing that Jesus had ever done, but he didn't. He wrote about certain signs that he felt like would help you to be able to believe. 
And by reading this verse, we know that John is setting this book up in such a way that he didn't, he didn't know that the Bible was going to be put together later, that there would be other gospel accounts and that there would be the entire story of the Old Testament, everything. He had no idea that all of that would be compiled together for us today. So what he did with his gospel account is he set it up in such a way that if this was the only thing you had, this is all you would need to believe. If you didn't have Mark's gospel, if you didn't have Matthew's gospel, if you didn't have the letter to Philemon, you didn't have, have the, uh, the book of Revelation, if you didn't have the book of Lamentations, if you didn't have any of that, all you had was John's gospel account, then that would be all that you needed. Now, of course, we're thankful that we have the entire Bible. It leads us, guides us, teaches us, and corrects us when we're wrong. But John was writing in such a way that if this is all you had, this is all you would ever need. And the sixth sign that we're talking about today is a sign where Jesus heals a blind man. And that's why I talked about sight a little bit in the beginning is because this man had faith even though he was never able to see. Now Jesus came across this man in Judea. And those were in Judea and Galilee were the two locations that Jesus was most often at. And if he wasn't there, he was often traveling between the two. One was up in the north, one was down in the south. And so it was a constant up and down, north and south, going along the sea for him and his followers. And Jesus in the town of Judea would often get in a whole lot more trouble than in any other place. Because this is where the temple was. This is where the Pharisees were. This, this was where the religious leaders who wanted to beat Jesus down, who wanted to reduce his followers, came. And so Jesus often had a hard time whenever he was in Judea, but he often used that to teach people. He didn't just use the signs, but he also used his reaction to the Pharisees. And that's what we're going to learn about today. Is It wasn't necessarily the sign that teaches us. It's not necessarily the sign that shows us who Jesus is, but it's his reaction. It's what happens afterward with the Pharisees and with the people around that shows us more than anything else. You see, the story starts in John chapter 9, verse 1. It just starts simply as Jesus was walking along, normal, and he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Now, a man who had been born blind from birth would often be seen as a sinner because he was suffering for some type of sin. Maybe it was his sin, maybe it was his parents' sin, or whatever else, but he was often seen that way, so people did not want to interact with him, people did not want to see him or anything like that, but this man was begging on the side of the road, and him begging shows how he was rejected. And not only that shows that he was rejected, but... Later on in the story, we see how much he was rejected. But the disciples ask about this man. They say, hey, Jesus, why is this man born blind? What happened? Who, who, what happened? Tell us the gossip. Okay? Tell us what his mom did. Tell us what he did, why he was born blind. But Jesus explains that the suffering is not because of a sin, but the suffering is actually to display God's work. And he tells them in this moment, he says, something is about to happen that's going to show you God's work. And maybe he's, he's saying, he doesn't say it completely, but, but I tend to believe that this man was born blind for this moment of what Jesus is about to do. And you might say, that's harsh. 
This man's suffering just so Jesus can make a point. But I would tell you that Jesus did the same exact thing. Jesus suffered to show God's work. And I would tell you that the stories of people suffering in your life are a lot more impactful than the stories of people who live wrinkle-free lives. If you tell me a story about a family who has six-figure salaries and everybody goes to college and then everybody peacefully dies in their sleep, I'm going to say that's great. I'm happy for them, but it doesn't inspire me too much. What does inspire me are the stories of pastors who go years without taking a salary from their church and then their church grows to do exponential things within their community. Or I was at camp one year. There was a lady who she said that her son was murdered. And what she did is she actually went to the prison and forgave her son's murderer, and now she has lunch with him once a week. And that type of story, those stories, are a whole lot more inspirational, a whole lot more impactful. And they show me God more than anything else. You see, stories like that make me want Christianity, make me want Jesus to be true, even if it were not. Now, I believe it is, but if it were not true, if Jesus was not real, if Christianity was not real, then I would want him to be real just from hearing those stories. But you see, Jesus makes the point that this man has been suffering so that God's work might be displayed. And then he gets right into it because he bends down and he actually spits in the ground. He doesn't have any water, doesn't have whatever. But he spits in the ground, he makes some mud, And he takes the mud and he just rubs it over the man's eyes. And all of this time, the man is saying nothing, doing nothing. He's just listening to Jesus talk. He can't see Jesus. He has no idea who he is. He might know his reputation. He may have heard a thing or two, but he has no idea who Jesus is. And it says in verse 7, what happens? He told him, Jesus told the blind man, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus didn't say, okay, now turn around and wash your face in that pool right behind you. No, he said, go. This man has to take a walk of faith. This man has to go by faith. If, he, if somebody just put mud in his eyes and said, all right, if you wash it off, you'll be healed. More often than not, he'd say, you're ridiculous. He had probably heard about Jesus' reputation. He had probably heard about who he was. And so he lived by the faith that Jesus was going to do something amazing in his life. And he lived by faith that Jesus was being truthful when he said he was born blind so that God's work might be displayed. And the next verses, he goes back to see Jesus, but Jesus isn't there. He goes back to find him, but Jesus is not around. But people start to see this man and they say, who is this man? This can't be the same man who was born blind. And this man actually has an opportunity here to go ahead and lie. And he can get himself out of the trouble that he's been all throughout his life. He can get rid of the reputation that he's had from people all his life. But Jesus didn't just change his sight. But Jesus gave him a new identity, not to other people, but to himself. So he actually argues with people. He says, I am that man who was born blind. I am. I am the person that you walked over on the street. I am the person that you probably spit at a few times. I am the person that you would call a sinner. I am that person. It is me. And so once he confirms it, the people do what the Old Testament law says, and they they bring him to to the Pharisees. They present him before them, and they say, look, this man was healed. 
And the reason they did that is because it was the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, you weren't allowed to heal. You weren't allowed to mix things. You weren't allowed to do a whole lot. So on the Sabbath day, these Pharisees turned this really, really happy story into the sad story where they're being hurtful and they're attacking him. But just listen to what happens. In John chapter 9, verse 15, it says, The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, Jesus, he, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God. He is working on the Sabbath. And you might say, well, but he did something amazing. But you see, that what he had done is he was still following God's law, but the thing he wasn't doing is he wasn't following the Pharisees' buffer laws. I call them the buffer laws because I think that we have buffer laws in our lives. We know things that we do that are wrong, and so in order to keep us away from doing those things, we put safeguards in place. We put buffer laws in place to make sure that we do not do those things. It's simple for, uh, a simple example would be somebody who's an alcoholic. They would put a buffer law in place that they're not going to enter into a bar. They're not going to go anywhere where alcohol is served on their own where they can have a drink because they know that they're putting themselves in a bad situation. So the Pharisees actually put together these buffer laws years ago to try and keep the law. But what eventually happened that was wrong and hurtful towards people is they actually put these buffer laws on the same level of God's law. They were trying to put their laws in the same place as God's law. And you see, their words were not as impactful. Their words did not mean as much as God's words. And so things like do not heal on the Sabbath all came from don't work on the Sabbath. Don't need, don't mix on the Sabbath. In fact, they took it so far that they would actually tie a rope around their waist on the Sabbath and they would tie the other end of the rope on their bed and they would go out for the day and once they felt that tug, they couldn't go any further because the rope had become tight and they couldn't walk any further. They said, well, it's time to go home. See, they didn't have any Fitbits to count their steps or anything like that. All they had were these buffer laws in place that they would try to use to make sure they kept God's law. But the issue was that the buffer laws became just as important as God's law. And so when they had these buffer laws, they realized that Jesus did not fit into their buffer laws. But not only did Jesus not fit into their buffer laws, it came about that Jesus did not fit in their God box. Jesus didn't fit into what they believed. Jesus didn't fit into what they thought or anything like that. Jesus was starting to go outside of what they thought. And here's the truth. You and I, and everybody really, has a God box. And inside our God box, we have all kinds of things that we believe about God, or the church, or sin, or heaven and hell, or Jesus. We have all of these thoughts and opinions, maybe, of what we believe about God and all those other things. And we form those opinions based on our our traditions, our experiences, we base a lot of them off the Bible, but then we read the Bible in such a way because of our traditions and our experiences. And so thusly, we create our God box. We put certain things into our God box because 
of what the Bible says, because of our experiences, because of our traditions. And Jesus isn't fitting into their God box. And so what actually starts to happen is they actually begin to realize they don't all have the same God box. They've all formed their own God box, but they don't have their own. So what they do is they start fighting. They start getting upset with each other and say, well, you, you don't think this or you don't think that. It doesn't tell us exactly what they say to one another, but it does say that they begin to fight. And so as they're fighting, what they do is they actually go and they ask the man's parents. They want to hear from the parents because they don't like what the man is saying, so they want to hear from the parents. In John chapter 9, verse 20, it says, His parents replied, We know this is our son, and he was born blind. Verse 21, But we do not know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him, he is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. In other words, they would be excommunicated, they would be exiled, they would not be allowed to return, they would not have a community anymore. But you see, this man was born blind. He could not physically see, but he was still able to believe. He still had room to open his God box. And so even though these Pharisees can physically see, they refuse to open their God box. They're afraid to open it, which results in their own spiritual blindness because they're afraid of what might happen if they open up their God box, if they reorganize it. Will they be challenged? Will they have to take things out? Will they have to put things in? What will happen? And so they were willfully blind to what Jesus was doing. In verse 24, it goes on to say, For the second time they called the man, the man born blind, they called the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this. Because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. They say Jesus is a sinner because he's going against our buffer laws. Verse 25, I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied. You see, this man didn't need to know everything to be able to believe in something. He's saying, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I don't know who this man is. I'm not sure. All I know is what happened to me. And so for some of us, maybe for some of you, this can be your hang-up with God. It's the fact that people ask you a question and you say, I don't know. Or you've asked a question to somebody before and they have said, I don't know. And you want to be able to fully understand Jesus before you can ever fully believe Jesus. And while that makes sense, while that logically works, you don't hold that standard anywhere else in your life. You don't hold that standard with anything else you believe in. You don't fully understand something before you fully believe in something. And maybe you say you do, but there might be a few things that maybe you do fully understand it as best you possibly can, and that's great. But there are things in your life that you don't fully understand, but you fully believe in. There are thermometers. You might not fully understand how a thermometer works, but when it tells you the temperature of yourself or somebody else, you believe in it. You don't fully understand how gravity works, like me, and you don't fully understand what it is. Maybe you know what it does, but you don't exactly know what it is, but you still believe in it. You still call it gravity. 
How about this? You don't fully understand love. If I asked you what you thought about love, but then I asked 10 other people what they thought about love, you'd all have different answers. You don't fully understand love, but you still believe in it. Because the thought of not believing in love, the thought of a world without love, is just too difficult to bear. And, and maybe this one is a really big one for you, but you're not going to fully understand this vaccine for coronavirus when it eventually comes out. Everybody keeps saying, well, it's eventually going to come out. And while I do believe it will, we're not going to have the time to fully understand it before we take it, before we fully believe it'll work. If you're someone who has a family member who's being affected by coronavirus, I'm so sorry. I feel, I feel terrible for you. But at the end of the day, when that vaccine comes out and they say it's tested and it works well, you're not going to say, okay, give me all your data before I put it on my family member or before I use it myself. You're going to say, use it. And so it makes sense to, to say that you want to fully understand Jesus before you fully believe in Jesus. But the problem with that is that you don't hold that standard with anything else in your life. And for me, when I accepted Jesus, when I began to believe in Jesus, that didn't come from fully understanding him first. That didn't come from fully knowing. I, I probably had not even read the entire Bible by the time I accepted Jesus. But what I did know is I knew the story of Jesus is I believed it was real. And I knew that my life would be better with Jesus than it would be without Jesus. And the same thing comes with the understanding. The understanding came after believing. The understanding followed believing. Now, I'm not saying I understand everything perfectly. I don't. But I understand more now than I did in the past. Because at one point, I said, I don't need to understand everything to believe in something. I don't need to understand everything about Jesus before I believe in Jesus. But what has happened now is I understand more about Jesus because I began to believe in Jesus. And so this man's statement that comes next, it's actually the second half of verse 25, I believe is so impactful, is so powerful. It's a summary for many Christians' lives. It just says, John chapter 9, verse 25, the second half. But I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. I was blind, but now I can see. I could not see before, but now, for some reason, somehow, something he did, I am finally able to see. And to me, this is just, this is just a mic drop moment. I mean, this sums up not only his entire life, but it sums up the story for many Christians today. Christians who were at one point caught into addiction. Christians who at one point had thoughts of suicide, maybe even attempted it themselves. Christians who are at one point in abusive relationship, they just they felt like they could never get out of. Christians who still today deal with insecurities and, and not being able to get past their own, their own thoughts about themselves. Or Christians who were able to go back and rekindle a relationship that really never deserved forgiveness, but it got forgiveness because of the love and the grace and the believing in Jesus Christ. For many of us, maybe we can't exactly explain our story, maybe we can't exactly explain what happened, but this statement seems to sum it all up. I was blind, and now I can see. I don't know what happened. Something happened. I took a walk of faith, I washed myself in the water, and I was blind, but now 
I see. They actually get to the point where they're berating and, 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 and cursing this man. They're, they're saying terrible things to him. They're being terrible towards him. And all the while, they're arguing amongst themselves, and they eventually get rid of the man. But Jesus eventually comes in, or he passes by. And as he's there, he begins to communicate with them. And maybe Jesus did this on purpose, where he said, okay, I'm going to walk away for a little bit and then come back. Or maybe this was completely accidental. I have no idea. But there's no question that God's works are being on display here. And it actually says this is what happens at the end of the the chapter. John chapter 9, verse 40 and 41, starting at verse 40. It says, some of the Pharisees were standing nearby, heard him. Jesus was saying a few things. And they asked, are you saying that we're blind? They're asking him, are you saying that we're blind? Are you saying we're the ones who can't see? Who do you think you are? Do you think that we're the ones that aren't able to see what is right in front of us? Verse 41, if you were blind, this is Jesus, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. You see, it's not that they were blind. It's not that they were spiritually blind or anything like that. It's that they were resisting. They were resistant to what Jesus was doing. They were resisting learning from Jesus. They were resisting being challenged by Jesus. They were resisting opening their God box to Jesus. They were resisting that. And they were just keeping their God box closed. They were resisting anything that might challenge them, anything that might change them. And we say, we say silly Pharisees, why would you do that? But we as Christians today, we do the same exact thing. We refuse to read certain articles about science or we refuse to try out or attempt new trends or maybe to, to change our traditions in such a way. We, we, we resist even non-Christian lifestyles. People who live a lifestyle that maybe we don't agree with, that we say, well, that's not Christian. And the fact is, we reject that, but we're not even willing to open our God box and say, well, maybe there's a Christian lifestyle that I'm not aware of. And so what we do is we take people and science and ideas, and we just say, my God box is closed, come back later. It's closed, you're not coming in, you're not seeing it, because this is the way it is. But that wasn't Jesus' way. Jesus was with people all the time who did not fit the religious mold. Jesus was with the people all the time who didn't fit a Christian lifestyle. And what did he communicate? He communicated to them love, belonging, and grace. He was willing to point out the things that they had done wrong. He was willing to say, go on and sin no more. But what he communicated to them first was love, belonging, and grace. Because he knew that he loved them, and he wanted them to know how much he did love them before he ever once challenged what they had done. And for you non-Christians out there, my question to you is, have you really ever opened your God box? Or did you have an event or an experience in your life, in your past, that, that made you say, I'm never opening it again, this is what I think, this is what I believe? Because maybe you're too scared 
Or maybe, like I said, it's because of that bad experience that you, 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 you just say, this is, this is what it is. It's never changing. Or maybe you're too angry because something happened. Maybe nobody did it to you, but maybe something that you attribute as God's work happened. And you're just so angry at God that you refuse to open your God box and try to learn something new. And so my question is, have you closed your God box completely? Because you decided you didn't understand. Have you closed it completely because you didn't understand? Or did a Christian close it for you? And I'm here to say that if you told me your story of the way somebody treated you, something somebody did to you, then more often than not, I probably would say, you know what? I probably would have closed my God box too. I probably would have closed off any type of, of relationship I probably would have closed off anything I had with God because of what that person did to me. But just because you closed it off then doesn't mean you have to keep it closed off now. Just because you took your God box and you closed it before does not mean you cannot reopen it again. And so I have a challenge for all of you this week, Christians, non-Christians, and not just this week, but for the rest of your life. It's my challenge to you for your God box, is to reorganize it. Open it up. Maybe you're not trying to take in any certain things, but just go through and reorganize it. Take your God box. Open it up. Look at the things inside of it and and say, yeah, that is true. I'm going to keep that in there. You know what? No, I I don't know if I believe that anymore. And throw it out. Take your God box and be willing to go through and reorganize it. I'm not asking you to completely start over. I'm not asking you to throw your entire God box out the way and and, and start with a new one. That would be impossible. You have traditions, experiences. You've read the Bible. You already have certain things that are staple in your God box. What I am asking you to do is I'm asking you to do three things with your God box. I'm asking you to take out what is untrue. You've grown. You've learned more. You understand more. You've, you have more critical thinking than the last time where you haven't opened it before. Find the misconceptions that are in your God box. Find the things that you know are un- untrue and say, you know what? That's not true. I don't believe that. I know that's not true. I read that that's not true. And I believe the person who told me this isn't true. That's ridiculous to keep in there. Or maybe, maybe you can confirm What is true? Take something out and say, you know what? That is held true in all my life. That holds true in the Bible. That holds true in my traditions. That holds true in my experiences. I know for a fact that is true. And the last thing I want you to do is I want you to investigate other new ideas and trends. I want you to investigate what might not be true to you, but what is true other people. I want you to open up your God box with somebody else's God box and say, okay, here's our God boxes. They're both open. Here's what I know is true. Here's what I don't think is true. Here's what I have in my God box. Here's what I've thrown out of my God box. And so for Christians, we often have the same things that we believe are true in our God boxes. We believe that Jesus is real. We believe that God created the world. We believe the church is important. We believe sin is bad. Many Christians can all agree on the staples, the main things inside 
our God box. And for you non-Christians, you have things within your God box that are true as well. Maybe you're not a Christian, but you still have things in your God box that are true. Maybe you know that it's wrong to be hypocritical. That's true. That stays in your God box. Maybe you know that the church should help people more than it judges people. That's true. We should. That's not always what we communicate, but it's always what we should be trying to do. And maybe you believe, whether, whether you believe Jesus was real or not, that's not the question here, but maybe you say, you know what, this Jesus guy, maybe I don't believe he's real, but he sure seems like a darn good person. He sure seems like the kind of guy that you would want more of in your community. Caring, loving, accepting. He seems like the kind of person you'd want in your community. And so my challenge to you is to open up that God box. Take an opportunity. Reorganize it. Don't just reorganize it for one day. Reorganize it for a week, a month, a year. Reorganize it consistently over and over and over again. Being willing to confirm what is true, take out what is untrue, and to investigate the things that you might not think are true, but other people believe to be true. Because the issue with closing our God box, the issue with never opening it and keeping it closed and saying, this is the way it is, it's never going to change. The issue with doing that is we will never fit truths in that are missing. We will never throw out lies that we are believing. We'll never be able to fit in all the truths and we'll never be able to take out all the lies if we keep our God box closed and never try to reorganize it. And it takes courage. It takes courage to do. Fear will tell you to stop. Fear will tell you, keep that closed. That is the way it is. It, your, your life is safe this way. If you don't do anything else, you'll never have to change the way you believe. This is the way it is. Never change anything. Fear will tell you it's better to stay that way. But you and I both know that fear doesn't always speak the truth. That it takes courage not only to change your God box, but just to open it up and just to say, okay, I'm going to decide to reorganize it. And the secret that I want you to leave here with today that maybe you know, but maybe you, you haven't always fit inside is that God is bigger than your box. God is bigger than your God box. You're never going to be able to fit in every single truth. You're never going to be able to take out every single lie. We will never fully understand, but we can fully believe. But just because we never will doesn't mean that we can't try to as much as we possibly can. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to not know. But what's not okay is to refuse to see what is right in front of you. It's okay to be wrong, it's okay to not know, but it's not okay to keep your God box closed and never be willing to reorganize it. Never be willing to do anything with it, to keep it the way it is. And for those of you out there who aren't Christians, we often, you often call this open-mindedness, to be open-minded. Hey, don't have prejudice, try out new things, explore new ideas. And that's what I'm asking you to do, is I'm asking you to be open-minded about God. Open your God box. Look into it. And for those of you who are Christians, we often call this growth. To take out what is untrue, to put in what is true, and to investigate what we might not think is true, but others 
believe is true. We call this growth. And we don't just grow in our God box. We grow in our love. We grow in our knowledge. We grow in our wisdom. So my challenge to you, like I said a few times already, just take your God box, open it up, and reorganize it. Take out what is untrue, confirm what is true, and investigate new ideas, even if you don't think they are true, but others believe they are true. Look right in front of you. Don't be spiritually blind, and don't try to be blind. Look right in front of you and see what God is trying to show you.